Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Burkett notes, The former part of this chapter relates to us a double miracle wrought by our blessed Savior, the one in raising the centurion's servant from his bed, the other in raising the widow's son from his briar, both of them eminent acts and instances of his divine and almighty power. The history of the former stands thus, verses 1 through 10. Now when he had ended all of his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain century servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am also a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Burkett notes, In our Savior's miraculous cure of the centurion's servant, we have several particulars very observable, as one, the person applying himself to our blessed Savior for help and healing. He was a Gentile, a heathen, a Roman soldier, an officer and commander, yet he believes in and relies upon the power of Christ. Note that such is the freeness of divine grace that it extends itself to all sorts and ranks, to all orders and degree of men, without exception. Even the bloody trade of war yields worthy clients to Christ. He did not so much regard what we are and whence we are, as what dispositions and desires, with what purposes and inclinations we come unto him. Observe, too, the person whom the centurion came to Christ for, not for himself, nor for his son, but for his servant. His servant was sick. He did not drive him out of doors, nor stand gazing by his bedside, but looks out for help and relief for him, a worthy example of humanity. Some masters have not so much regard for their sick servants as they have to their oxen and their swine. But he is not worthy of a good servant that in time of sickness is not willing to serve his servant. Observe 3. Unto whom the centurion seeks, and with what zeal and application. He seeks not to wizards and conjurers, but to the physician for his sick servant, yea, to Christ, the chief physician. And this not with a formal relation in his mouth, but with a vehement aggravation of his disease. My servant lies sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. St. Matthew 8.16 Where the master's condolency and tender sympathy with his afflicted servant is both matter of commendation and imitation. Observe 4. The happy mixture of humility and faith which was found in the centurion. See his wonderful humility in not thinking himself too worthy to come into Christ's presence, or that Christ should come under his roof. The best men have always the lowest thoughts of themselves. 
When we esteem ourselves unworthy of any favors, Christ accounts us worthy of all. See also his faith in Christ's divine power. He believed that Christ was able at a distance and by a single word to command off the distemper of his servant. He tells him that diseases were as much at Christ's command as his servants were at his command. Humility, we see, is both the fruit of faith and the companion of faith. A humble soul has evermore a high esteem of Christ's power and a low esteem of itself. Observe 5, how our blessed Savior exceeds not only the centurion's desires, but his expectations also. St. Matthew 8, 7. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Oh, wonderful condescension. In St. John 4.47, we read of a certain nobleman and ruler that twice entreated our Savior to come to his house and heal his son, but our Lord refused. Here the centurion doth but barely tell Christ of his poor servant's sickness, and Christ, both unasked and undesired, says, I will come and heal him. Oh, how far is Christ from seeming in the least to honor riches and despise poverty? He that came in the form of a servant goes down to visit a sick servant upon his poor pallet bed, who did not come near the rich couch of the ruler's son. Observe 6. The notice and observation which our Savior takes of the centurion's faith. He wondered at it from him. Admiration agreed not to Christ as God, but as man it did. Christ wrought faith as God, and wondered at it as man. What can be more wonderful than to see Christ wonder? We find not our Savior's wondering at worldly pomp and greatness. When the disciples wondered at the magnificence and stately buildings of the temple, Christ rather rebuked them than wondered with them. But when he sees the gracious act and exercise of faith, he is ravished with wonder. Let it teach us to place our admiration where Christ fixes his. Let us be more affected with the least measure of grace in a good man than with all the gaiety and glories of a great man. Let us not envy the one, but admire and imitate the other. Observe lastly, Christ does not only admire the centurion's faith, but publishes it. Verily, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. That is, amongst the generality of the Jewish nation. For as the particular persons, several had shown a greater faith than this, as Joseph and Mary. This expression lets us know that where the means of faith are but small, the noble acts and exercise of faith are wonderful and soul-amazing. Verses 11 through 17. And it came to pass, the day after, that he went into a city called Nine, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the briar, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Burkett notes, There were three persons raised from death to life by the powerful word of Christ's mouth, namely, Jairus' daughter, mentioned by St. Matthew, Lazarus, recorded by St. John, and here the widow's son, only taken notice of by St. Luke. 
The place where the miracle was wrought was the city of Nine. Out of their cities, and not within them, the Jews were wont to bury their dead. Our Savior, at the gate of the city, meets with the sad pomp of a funeral, a sorrowful widow, attended with her mournful neighbors, following her only son to the grave. Where note one, the doleful and distressed condition of the widow, there were many heart-piercing circumstances in her affliction. One, it was the death of a son. To bury a child rends the heart of a parent. For what are children but the parent multiplied? But to lay a son in the grave which continues the name and supports the family is a sore affliction. Two, this son was a young man in the strength and flower of his age, not carried from the cradle to the coffin. Had he died an infant, it had not been so much lamented. But then, when the mother's expectations were highest and the endearments greatest, even in the flower of his age, he's cut off. Three, he was not only a son, but an only son, one in whom all his mother's hopes and comforts were bound up. The death of one out of many is much more tolerable than of all in one. The loss of that one admits of no consolation. For, still to heighten the affliction, it is added that she was a widow. She wanted the counsel and support of a loving yoke fellow. Had the root been left entire, she might better have spared the branch. Now both are cut down, and she has none left to comfort her in her comfortless state of widowhood. In this distressed condition, Christ, the God of comfort, meets her, pities her, relieves her. Observe, too, the compassion of Christ towards this distressed widow. He saw her and had compassion on her. Christ saw her. She did not speak to him. No tears, no prayers can move Christ so much as our afflictions and his own compassion. Christ's heart pitied her. His tongue said to her, Weep not. His feet went to the briar. His hand touched the coffin, and the power of his Godhead raised the dead. But how strange doth Christ's counsel seem to bid a woman not to weep for such a loss was to persuade her to be miserable and not feel it, to feel it and not regard it, to regard it and yet conceal and hide it. It is not the decent expression of sorrow, then, which Christ condemns, but the undue excess and extravagance of it which our Savior blames. And the lesson of instruction which we learn from hence is this, that Christians ought to moderate their sorrow for their dead relations, how many afflicting circumstances and aggravations soever do meet together in their death. Here was a child, that child a son, that son an only son, that only son carried to the grave in the flower of his age, yet Christ says to the pensive mother, a sorrowful widow, weep not. Observe 3. The power of Christ in raising the widow's son to life. The Lord of life arrests the sergeant death and rescues the prisoner out of his hand. Christ says not, in the name of God, young man, arise, but I say unto thee, arise. Christ had a power in himself and of himself to command the dead to arise, and the same powerful voice which raised this young man shall on the last day raise up our dead bodies. For it is as easy for omnipotency to say, let them be repaired, as to say at first, let them be made. The Socians here own that Christ raised this young man by a divine power which God had communicated to him, yet deny him at the same time to be essentially God. But let them prove, if they can, that a divine power, which is proper to God alone, ever was or ever can be, 
communicated to a creature without the communication of the divine nature. True, we find St. Peter, Acts 9.40, commanding Tabitha to arise, but we find all he did was by faith in Christ and by prayer unto Christ. Acts 4.34, Jesus Christ healeth thee, arise. But Christ here raised the widow's son without prayer, purely by his own power, which undeniably proves him to be God. Observe 4, the reality of the miracle. He sits up and begins to speak and is delivered to his mother. Death has no power to hold that man down, whom the Son of God bids rise up. Immediately he that was dead sat up, and the same power which raised one man can raise a thousand, a million, a world. No power can raise one man but an almighty power, and that which is almighty can raise all men. It was not so much for the child's sake as the mother's sake that the son was raised. It was an injury to the son, though a kindness to the mother, for he must twice pass through the gates of death, the others once. It returned him from rest to labor, from the peaceful harbor back again to the tempestuous ocean. Observe lastly what effects this miracle had upon the multitude. Seeing the divine power thus manifestly exerted, they are filled with astonishment and amazement. They look upon our Savior with awful and admiring looks. They glorify and praise God for sending a great prophet amongst them, accounting it a great act of favor that God had, in this wonderful manner, visited his people. Yet a prophet was the highest name they could find for him, whom they saw like themselves in shape, but above them in power. A great prophet is risen up amongst us, and God hath visited his people. <laughs>